0: Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Restoration Nazarene Church, where we encourage you to be the gospel today so that you can share the gospel tomorrow. Well, good morning, everybody. Today is is a bit of a heavy day, as as my lovely wife um, had already stated that we, um, Pastor Tammy, was taken to urgent care, emergency room. I don't really know one of the two of them. Uh, So we are praying for her. Uh, We did also have a new church member born on Thursday morning, baby Jaylee. Darian had Jaylee, and they had a little bit of a rough start, but we are praying that she will pass all of her tests that they need to this morning so that they can come home today is the plan. Um, And we are starting a new series today on faith. And and faith means something different to different people. And in fact, their faith can really does mean several different things. There's many different aspects to what we call faith. And with that in mind, our, our plan is that we're going to spend the upcoming weeks going through stories in the Old Testament of people that we would deem as heroes of faith that had their own different aspects. And, and the hope is that through this, we will have a better understanding of what it means for us to have faith, especially as we go through all the different trials and struggles that we all experience in life. And, and as we talk about faith and trusting in God, that requires that first we know God and second that requires that that we know what he is actually saying to us When, when he tells us to do something in order for us to trust and believe that that requires us to actually know what he sounds like to know how it is that he speaks to us but that can often be so difficult It can be so difficult to hear from God. It can be so difficult to to have faith when we can't always hear from him. Have you ever had those moments where, where you're crying out, you're speaking to God, you're you crying out, asking for for something, but you just feel like there's no answer that comes. You, you pray for this miracle, but, but yet this miracle doesn't seem to happen, or you're stuck between this difficult choice of, of going to the left or going to the right, and, and you just don't know, and you say, God, help me make this choice, but yet... When you sit there, it almost feels like he isn't responding to you. I know that there are stories with people in here that you have all shared with me that, that some of you are going through that situation right now of trying to decide what, what to do, where do we go. Some of you have experienced that in the past and others will experience that eventually in the future. And the more people that I talk to about God, I, I, I begin to see this interesting pattern and, and the pattern is this, people generally have faith in God while they can see him working. Think of it like a gas tank. They, they fill their gas tank up and they're able to drive for a period of time and then they just have to refill it. And what I'm noticing is that people often have faith in God when they experience a miracle where they see something, they feel his presence, something happens, you have this great, this great experience and it fills up your tank. And you're going and you've got faith and everything's fine, but then that depletes, it starts to drain. And then you get to this place where now you have to fill up again. And if you don't fill up in time, then you start to question everything. And that is what I'm finding as I'm talking to people. And it's not everyone that I talk to. I know some people, some in this room, even that, that they have faith beyond anything. They don't have to fill up. They will always have faith. They will never falter, never struggle. But, but there are some that do, some that will struggle at, at some different times. And I think the goal for most of us is to get to a place where we don't have those down moments, to get to a place where we can always trust in God, no matter what happens in our life, whether we can control it or not. A few weeks ago, I was sitting in my backyard and it was It was was late in an evening. The kids were already in bed, and I was sitting out there. It was nice and cold outside. It felt great. And I was just laying there, and I was reclined in my chair just staring up at the stars. Now, I love stars, and so I was geeking out a little bit and finding all the constellations that I could find and and point out, and some that I knew, okay, if Orion's here, I know that Taurus is here, but I cannot see it, but I know it's there. And and I was sitting there, and, and most of the time, it's from the city lights, the city lights, Often dim our ability to see all of the lights and I know that they the stars were there I know that they were there but I still couldn't quite see them and and sometimes it takes us trying to to have an imagination to see what it was or you can get those apps on your phone where you can see what where the everything is in the sky those are really cool as well but but then I I found myself sitting there And thinking about, okay, all of these stars, they they say that the stars are similar to our sun. And so we could imagine that, that each star that we see, every little light has planets around it. And then I started to think about how how small I actually am. The fact that, that I'm small in comparison to the entire world. If, if the earth was this size, I, you can't even see me on it. And then I started to think about how small I am in comparison to the sun and how far we are away from the sun. And then I started to think about how small I am in comparison to the entire solar system all of the planets and how far we are spread out and how small I am and that's only one star and then I'm looking up at the stars and I'm seeing hundreds of millions of all kinds of different stars up there and I'm thinking how small am I in comparison to everything that God has created and who am I that God would choose to love me? This small little speck that in a timeline of of all of time, we we are here and gone in a blink of an eye when you really think about it. So who are we as as humans on earth that God would love us, That, that God would have a plan for us, that God would choose us to carry out his plan? Who are we but a small speck that is gone in the blink of an eye? Honestly, it was a bit overwhelming as I was sitting there thinking about that, thinking about how we are part of God's plan, but, but we are. And the question then is, well, what is God's plan? And how do we have faith and trust in whatever that plan may be? And how do we maintain and keep our faith when there are so many different stressors, so many different struggles that we face in life? How do we maintain faith? when everything begins to be a little bit dim and you can't always see the stars, you can't always see God's hand. There's a a story of a man in the Old Testament. His name is Elijah. And Elijah, he should sound familiar. Because a lot of people, as we've been walking through Jesus over the last several months, a lot of people thought that Jesus was the reincarnation of Elijah. This Elijah character, this great prophet. He was a great man of faith. And he had many different experiences with God. Elijah knew God's voice. And we're in 1 Kings today, 1 Kings chapter 18. It will also be on the screen if you don't want to follow along. And as we go through this story... Of Elijah. It's a really long story. And so I'm going to read and I'll skip and I'll paraphrase a little bit so that I'm not spending an hour just sitting here reading all of it. Um, I, sometimes I wish I had one of those great radio voices where, where you would all love to hear me read and I could just sit here and do that. But I know that I don't. That's why I'm not in radio. And, and as I go through this story, I want you to, to listen to how Elijah hears from God. I want you to to pay attention to the ways that this happens. And this the story of of Elijah begins with God telling Elijah to go visit the king. The king's name is Ahab. And Elijah is supposed to tell the king that the Lord is going to stop the rain completely, that there's gonna be this massive drought. And this is a big deal because Ahab's wife the queen named Jezebel, she was killing as many of God followers as she could possibly find. Everybody knew that. And so God is now sending Elijah to go to the king and I suppose the queen as well to proclaim, hey, I'm a prophet of God. And this is what God is telling me. I mean, that's almost a death sentence if you think about it. So that's a big deal. But Elijah listens. He goes to Ahab and he says, "God, God's not happy. And he is going to stop the rain for some time until his voice speaks again. And that goes on for three years. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1. After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel, the queen again, while Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, 50 in each, and had supplied them with food and water. Ahab had said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive so we will not have to kill any of our animals. So they divide the land they were to cover. Ahab going in one direction and Obadiah in another. At this point in the story, Obadiah goes down one path. And as he's traveling down this path, he meets up with Elijah. And then Elijah tells Obadiah, hey, God told me that I need to meet with Ahab again. So can you arrange a meeting for me? And so Obadiah eventually, after some little disagreements, um, he finally says, yes, yes, sounds great. I will do this. So then he goes back to Ahab. So skipping down to verse 16. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and you have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table." So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Mount Carmel. And now I want you to think about this. Ahab, the king, called Elijah the, the troubler of Israel, the one who brought about this severe drought. Now, if you think about it, that means that Ahab is blaming God, Lord, for this drought, which makes sense because three years prior, Elijah went to Ahab and told him that this was going to happen. Now it happened. But this is ironic to me. If Ahab blamed Elijah or blamed God and Ahab knew that God was the reason there was no rain, why would he not just simply turn to God to surrender, to confess, to now worship God so that the rain would fall? But he he doesn't. He, he doesn't seek forgiveness. He doesn't do anything like that. He continues to worship the false gods, the false idols that they had set up, which makes absolutely no sense at all if you know what the problem is, but yet you're gonna go pray to these other fake gods, these fake idols, and ask for them to fix the situation. And in a way, I was, I, I'm wondering if he was trying to just take things into his own hands, because going to God means that you have to admit fault, admit that you were wrong. You now have to surrender. You now have to to worship God, to seek for him to obey, but yet he chooses to go his own way. And, And I think sometimes we do a similar thing. We often know what we are supposed to do. We often know that we are supposed to worship God, that we are supposed to save God, that we are supposed to follow what God desires, but sometimes we decide to take it up in our own hands. And this could go on for three years of just this season of drought where you just feel like like something is wrong because you're going your own way rather than trusting in God. And so Elijah calls them out. Verse 21, Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. "'I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood "'but not set fire to it. "'Then you call on the name of your God "'and I will call on the name of the Lord "'and the God who answers by fire, he is God.' "'Then all the people said, what you say is good. "'Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, "'Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first "'since there are so many of you. "'Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire.' So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. I have to imagine they looked kind of funny dancing around this altar, singing to this fake God. And so funny that Elijah begins to make fun of them. Verse 27, at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he is in deep thought or or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered, and no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, "'Come here to me.' They came to him, and he prepared the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, "'Your name shall be Israel.'" "'With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, "'and he dug a trench around it "'large enough to hold two sias of seed. "'He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, "'and laid it on the wood. "'Then he said to them, "'Fill four large jars with water "'and pour it on the offering on the wood.'" Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. I wonder what was going on. There's a severe drought going on. And yet Elijah's kind of wasting water, these four large things that he dumps three different times. I imagine they were kind of angry of, hey, this is our water supply. Verse 36. At that time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord... The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. When the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the or, sorry, then the fire fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Elijah made it completely unfair for God in this contest. He poured a whole bunch of water, which makes it extra hard for anything to burn down. But then with a simple prayer, no dancing, dancing, no shouting, no slashing himself and drawing blood, but just a simple prayer, God responded. And God burnt the sacrifice as was the the contest that they had set up. But, But God didn't just burn the altar and didn't just burn the sacrifice. He went above and beyond and burnt everything associated with it. He burnt the stones. I don't know how you can even burn stones, but stones were burnt. The dirt was burnt. All of the water was licked up. It was completely gone. And sometimes in life, God answers like this. Sometimes we we will ask for something and God will deliver more than we ask for. We say, God, I want you to do this one thing for you, but then he does this and so much more than we could ever have asked. And we don't have to dance around. We don't have to do anything. All we have to do is simply bring it to God. And sometimes he, he doesn't, but sometimes he does. And Elijah had enough faith in God To put on this contest. Elijah had enough faith to trust that God would respond. And it was through a simple prayer that God answered him. It was through a simple prayer that the word of God spoke to Elijah. It was through a time of prayer. Notice the emphasis on prayer. After the contest is over, Elijah gathers up all the prophets of Baal and he kills them all, which I think is a little dramatic, but it's what happens in the story. I'm just telling you, he just, he gathers them up, slaughters them all. And then Elijah tells Ahab that now God will send rain. And sure enough, the rain falls down and it's heavy and it's great. Elijah is praising everything, but Ahab still doesn't believe. I mean, you would think after all of this, he seemed to already be on the fence. He still doesn't turn to God. He still doesn't turn his faith to God and believe. Instead, he is upset. He is angry. He runs home and tells his wife, the queen Jezebel, who already kills off everybody that she can. And as he tells her that, that Elijah had killed all the prophets, Jezebel gets angry. And then she issues a death warrant for Elijah. And again, this is a serious death warrant because she's already known to kill off as many of Lord's people as possible. And so Elijah hears this and he runs for his life. Let me read the last part of this, this story here in chapter 19, verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life that of one of them. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Elijah prayed to die. Maybe he was afraid and didn't want to die by Jezebel, but wanted to be killed by the Lord. Maybe he was just tired. Maybe he was, he was old and done. I don't have any idea. But either way, he prayed for God to kill him. And think about this, Elijah, anytime he prays, God has answered. He just prayed and God had delivered fire. So you have to assume that Elijah thought, hey, if I pray this, God will answer my prayer and he will kill me. Skip down to verse 9. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied with the same response he gave earlier. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel king over Aram. Also, anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel. And anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel Mahola to succeed you as prophet. Let me put all of this into context. Those are some really big words that I have no idea if I pronounced correctly, but I thought if I did it confidently enough, you'd all just believe me. I mean that's kind of how it works. But but let me put this into context. Elijah had been trusting in God. Elijah had watched God withhold rain for 3 years. Elijah had watched God burn the altar and everything around it. God had watched or Elijah had watched God return water to the earth. Elijah knew that God could perform great things, but now he is afraid and he is running for his life and he prays to die. He prays to be done. And then God visits him and tells him, I'm going to appear to you. And then God puts on this grand display. This powerful wind came and tore apart all of the rocks in the mountains, but God wasn't there. And then an earthquake comes, but God wasn't there. And then fire comes again, but God wasn't there. Three huge displays of power came, but God was not in any of them. But then a gentle whisper came, and there was God. Sometimes I think in life that we, we desire big signs, I think we desire big wonders, big miracles from God. We ask God for these huge signs. We say, God, I want to follow your way. I want to know what to do. I want to know which path is right. So give me a sign. Give me something big. Send fire here. Give me a burning bush. Talk to me. Do something so that I can follow. Do some type of a miracle. And I can give you countless stories of times that God has done miracles in my life. I can tell a lot of your stories about how God has worked in your lives. I know a lot of ways that God has moved in people that I know. But but sometimes God is not found in the loud and big miracles. Sometimes God is not found in these large displays of power. Sometimes God is found in the small whisper, which is almost unnoticeable compared to the earthquakes, compared to the loud wind, compared to the fire, which is almost unnoticeable to the flashy and loud society that we live in today. And this whisper, the whisper of God is most often found in times of prayer by separating ourselves from all the noise in the world and listening to that small, quiet whisper. And this is extremely hard to do at first. It's hard to quiet ourselves. It's hard to turn our mind off from thinking all of the thoughts that we go through. It's hard to hear that small, quiet whisper of God. But there's something else I wanna point out in this story. Elijah, throughout this whole story, He was standing in the gap between God and the people. God's messages to Elijah were all about the people as a whole. Elijah prayed for individually that he would be killed, but God does not grant that because God has something bigger planned. And the bigger thing that's planned is for all of the people as a whole. Sometimes God does not grant us what we ask for because there is something much bigger going on that has to do with all of the people. I talked a moment ago about how how stars are in the sky and stars by themselves are gorgeous. They are beautiful, shining up there. But they become even more beautiful when you see them within the larger constellation that they fall in. When they begin to all come together, when you begin to see all the constellations all together, it becomes so much more just just a wonder, magnificent to think about the way that all of it works together. But the problem is that when we stare into the sky, we can't always see the larger constellation. We can't always see the other stars in the sky. Sometimes we know that they should be right there, but we can't see them because of the loud, flashy lights that is found in the city life that we live in. But even outside of the city, I love to go camping. And so even outside as I am camping in the woods and I stare up at the sky and you can see a whole lot more stars out there than you can in the city, even then sometimes it's hard to see the constellations because my imagination isn't big enough. It's hard to see how they all connect together because I am focused on only what I can see, only what I can comprehend. The problem is that that we often look for for this big display of power to see God, but we don't always get it. Or sometimes we we seek God's direction in our life for us individually, like just one little bitty star. When God has such a bigger plan going on for all of the people as a whole. And so sometimes we ask for this direction and sometimes he grants it, but sometimes he doesn't. And those times that he doesn't, I've learned to trust that he has a bigger plan in store and that it probably is for somebody else's glory notice here that that in this small moment this this whisper this small whisper where god or where elijah prayed for god to kill him to end his life that god appears to him and then he lays out the larger plan he says elijah no you're not going to die yet i'm not done with you i am not through with you instead you are going to go you're going to anoint all these people you are going to prepare the prophet that will come next named elisha Sometimes we are just done. Sometimes we've reached the end. Sometimes we get frustrated. Sometimes we reach a new stage in life where we wonder, am I even useful anymore? And God says, yes, yes, you are. I'm not done with you yet. I have something bigger planned for you. Elijah had faithfully followed God, but it wasn't until he heard the small whisper that he finally heard the larger plan. And if we want to hear from God, if we want to see the larger plan, if we want to have more faith in God and trust in Him, that means that we need to remove ourselves from the busyness of life in order to find God in the small whisper. Sometimes it means that we have to get over ourselves. It means we have to look past ourselves as individuals and begin to see us collectively as a church, collectively as God's people all across the entire world and realize that we are part of something much, much bigger than ourselves. It's not just about ourselves individually, but us collectively as God's people. We are the church, and God works through us, the church. We all have a part to play, but that takes faith and trust. It takes us finding that small whisper of God. And in that whisper, which we find through prayer, God will begin to reveal his master plan. And having faith begins in prayer, just like it did for Elijah. And prayer, prayer is such an interesting concept. Many people will ask me, why do I have to pray if God already knows my thoughts? Why would I have to tell him what I need if God already knows? But that's not what prayer is about. Or others have tried to, to describe to me that prayer is just a form of meditation, and therefore they say, these are their words, not mine, they say that Christians, that that prayer is okay because what they're doing is they're, they're just meditating, and science has proven that meditation is good and healthy for the body and the soul, so you Christians go ahead and continue praying, but they don't trust that we are actually praying to something. They just think that we're having this inner dialogue, and the problem with that is that that we're having an inner dialogue in meditation. All meditation is, is an inner dialogue with yourself. But we know that prayer is so much more than that. Yes, it is true that God knows what we're thinking. He knows what we're feeling. He knows what we need. And yes, it is true that prayer is a form of meditation. All of that is true, but it is so much more than that. We're not just having an internal dialogue with ourselves. We are actually communicating to God through the Holy Spirit inside of us. John Wesley, the the founder of our denomination kind of from hundreds of years ago, he's famously quoted saying that prayer is where the action is. And I love that thought that prayer is where the action it is. is through prayer that we begin to learn more about who we are in Christ. And as we begin to learn more about who we are in Christ, we begin to more, learn more about God. And as we learn more about God, we learn more about who we are in him. And you see this cycle that continues. And then that whisper that starts off so small, so faint, begins to grow and grow. And soon it becomes very easy to hear the word of the Lord that, that will fall upon you, that whisper that will just speak into you, telling you what to do. And this is where faith starts. It starts with prayer. And instead of filling our tanks with all of these big miracles, which are all good. It's good to get excited about those things, about those experiences. But instead of relying on those big experiences to fill our tank to keep going, what if we could learn to fill our tanks with that small whisper, that prayer, because we can pray whenever we want to, Paul in the New Testament tells us to pray without ceasing, to always be praying. In other words, always be filling up that tank. And we know with the way the gas prices are, it's expensive to fill up your tank and you can't always get to where you want to go. But prayer doesn't cost a dime. We just continue to refill our tank. And that is the secret to having faith. It begins with prayer which leads to us hearing that small whisper of God's voice, which gives us more faith and more trust and helps us to see ourselves in a much larger picture, a star amongst an entire constellation. It all begins with prayer as we draw closer to God. So let's do that. Let's pray now. Father, we want to draw closer to you. Father, you know how busy we are. We ask for you to help us lessen the busyness of our life, lessen the flashy lights so that we begin to see you more clearly. Father, we desire to to follow after you. We desire to learn more about you, to, to become more like you. Father, I know that you are speaking to each and every one of us through that small whisper, through the power of the Holy Spirit, because you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. I know that all of that is true. And so, Father, this morning I ask that you do it that you reveal that small whisper to us. Father, in this moment, we repent of the ways that we have sinned against you, in the ways that we have been distracted by the flashy lights and have forgotten about you. Father, you know our hearts and you know that we desire to worship and serve and love you. Father, we pray all of this in your name, amen. Amen, as as we transition here, I want to experience God in a deeper way as well as we prayed and we're going to receive communion this morning. One, because it's, it's the first Sunday of the month and we do communion on the first Sunday of the month, but two, it's a way for us to deeper be connected to Christ. We know that Jesus, as our prime example, he lived a life of prayer. He always separated himself in solitude to go up to a mountain to pray. And if we think about it, if Jesus prayed, Jesus and Jesus is God and man at the same time, and if he prayed to his Father in heaven, how much more do we need to pray? And so in this moment, as as we prepare to receive communion together, I want to remind you that this is a way for us to to experience the presence of Christ. No, we don't believe that these, these things turn into Christ inside of us, but we believe that as we receive communion, that the presence of Christ, the grace of God, is here with us as we do it. And so we remember on the night that Jesus Christ was betrayed, he gathered all of his disciples together. And after sharing a meal, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup. And after giving thanks, he said, this is my blood, pour it out and shed for you. Drink in remembrance of me. Jesus, we remember. We remember your sacrifice. We remember that your sacrifice was part of a much larger plan. We know that the disciples didn't understand what was going on. Father, in the same way, sometimes we don't understand what's going on. Sometimes we can't see the larger picture. I ask in this moment that you reveal it to us as much as you are willing. Reveal to us the larger plan. Help us in our decision-making. Help us choose you over everything else. Father, we thank you for your sacrifice, for sending your son to die on the cross for us so that we could be saved and have a way to be in relationship with you. Father, we pray all of this in your name, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. As, as we close out our time of worship, th- today is May 1st, if you didn't know, and we have a prayer challenge. We, as I mentioned a moment ago, we're not just individual Christians following Christ, and we're not just a local church following Christ. We are part of a much larger constellation of stars we are part of the entire church a part of God's people across the entire world that all believe in Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit but within that we're also part of the denomination the Nazarene the church of the Nazarene which I've shared before is all over the entire world and the Nazarene church is actually more prevalent in other countries than it is in America. They have now surpassed us. Uh, we have a huge emphasis on missionaries and we go to the ends of the earth to make disciples. And the church of the Nazarene, they have, they're, they're challenging us as a, as a local co- uh, congregation to join in in prayer. And so the challenge is that we are going to pray every day for the next 36 days from now until Pentecost Sunday, 36 days from now, June 5th. We will pray now until then for God to reveal. um, Let me see what they said. Let me just read it to you rather than trying to remember what they said. Here's what they wrote about this prayer challenge. God is leading us to pray for the protection, direction, and revelation of the Spirit on our ministries together. Our prayer is to see renewal and a resurgent of the Church of the Nazarene and holiness message in our people. We need God's plan and God's purpose to be fulfilled in our lives and in our churches. As we turn to God for his leading, we will seek his will in prayer together. So we are joining together with the entire church as a large to pray together. And there's there should be a slide that's going to go up on the screen right now with a website. Um, so they have these really cool prayer journals that if I had known ahead of time and hadn't been so lazy, I would have bought a whole bunch of these for all of you. But they have digital versions available for free if you go to this website. And it is phenomenal. It lays out there every single day. It's like a devotional, a daily plan. There's a very short verse. Then there's a little uh, devotional then a specific prayer to prayer, and then you can even reflect your journal insights. And this is a way for us to join together to pray. And so here's my challenge for you. Join with us to pray over the next 36 days. It doesn't cost you anything but your time to pray, and we should all be praying anyway. And if you feel that God is revealing something to you, telling something to you, I want you to share that with me. And then we'll compile all that together and share that with the Church of the Nazarene. It'll all be anonymous. So your name won't be a part of it. But then they will begin to see what God is revealing and telling all of us all together so that we all together as God's people can move and change in this post-COVID world that we live in today. And so go to that website. Um, I believe it's usacanadaregion.org forward slash prayer. You get the digital Um, Prayer guide devotional. There's a whole bunch of prayer videos that they'll release every day for that specific day, a whole bunch of other stuff that's really cool. And so um, today I want to end the service officially by praying the very short prayer that is written for today out of the prayer journal. And so at this moment, I I ask that you pray this with me or, or allow these words to become your prayer. Lord Jesus Christ make us like you. Help us to daily enter into quiet spaces in humility, to honor you, ask things of you, and listen to you. Heal our brokenness when we come to you in prayer. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love to continue the conversation and connect with you. Comment, like, subscribe, follow us on the socials at Church or our website, rnaz.church.